0: Welcome to Profiles in Risk. This is your host, Tony Canyas, And today I'm recording episode, I don't know, 225, maybe, something on the lines. And today I have with me Awais Farouk. I've been practicing that. Awais Farouk, uh, U.S. insurance practice lead for ActiveOps. So Awais, uh, thank you for, for joining today. How are you doing?
1: Awesome, Tony. Thank you very much for having me on this uh... You know, your webcast—it's awesome uh, to be a part of it. It's awesome, you know. The holidays are over; we're into the new year, new new resolutions. So great to be here. New Year's resolutions,
0: okay. I hope that that you're you're planning your life better than by using New Year's resolutions. Uh, but we, we were we are recording today on January fourth, the first uh, workday of the year of this New Year 2021. Uh, I, I, I like to think of it as, as 2018 was pretty good, 2019 was, was even better, then the year that shall not be named, uh, which was hard, <laughs> and now 2021. Uh, so so Farouk, tell us, uh, we always give the, the guests the chance of uh, uh, giving kind of the elevator speech, what, what exactly, or the, the elevator pitch, what, what exactly is it that ActiveOps do?
1: So ActiveOps is a digital operations management uh, platform for organizations. We are in banking, financial services, healthcare, insurance, PNC. Uh, That's where we're really trying to go very big. And it's really focused around your operations management, whether it's in the claims area, underwriting area, uh, wherever you have individuals doing any work is really defining that into what the organization can attain when it comes to productivity. You know, we, have two, we have two different spectrum of employee productivity. You either work your employees way too much or you don't give them enough work. You know, employees will always tell you that there's always enough work for them to do, but we help find that balance that helps organizations make better judgment of delivering the right amount of work to people, again, over and over again to be able to get uh, completion on a productivity. So it's really gauging an idea on production management, how do you attain the best out of your team, best out of your people, in addition for teams to really gauge an idea into how well are they doing? You know, are they being burned out because they have so much work going on and there's not enough people? We always hear the same story again and again. Uh, But the other aspect of it is really to finding those gaps of where you have capacity and helping you, helping out another team when you can so we've bridged the uh-huh. gap between them.
0: I like the idea of, of, of making sure that people have the right amount of work. And so so w- within the PNC space, um, claims is famous for high workloads, right? And almost any claims organization uh, that people will will, will tell you that, that, that there's a burnout problem, right? But at the same time, in this same industry, I have ran into many, many, many people. And I myself have been in, on the seat a couple of times uh, where you don't have enough work for, for whatever reason, right? Uh, it might be seasonal, it might be uh, just for whatever reason. I, I had a conversation recently with a friend who I, I recommended him for a job uh, at, a, at a very, very good carrier that, that, I, that I really respect and where I've placed multiple people and, uh, uh, for, a, for a field claims job. And every other person that's gone to that carrier has told me how much they love it. And, and there's so many good things. So I convinced this guy and, and it wasn't even like a, a placement for Jacobson. It was like a favor to the guy. Hey, you should really look at this carrier. They're really good for field claims people. And he lasted for two years and then he left. So we just caught up and I'm like, that's weird. Nobody ever leaves that organization especially the, the field claims area. And he explained that, that they were new to the Atlanta market. And he kept telling them that they needed more field adjusters in Atlanta, and it just didn't happen. So he was uh, dying under an incredible load of work, while many of his of his teammates in other states that, that had, where, where the company had a presence forever, were telling him that, that they were light on work, right? But, but, but it didn't get recognized, even after he asked for help, it didn't get recognized that the work could be uh moved within the team so so i I think that there's definitely and and i i've i've heard it a lot for 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 people that they're bored that they don't have enough to do and it's a thin line between uh being overworked and and being bored and and underutilized and and of course when you ask your people nobody's gonna tell you that they they don't have enough work because they don't they don't want to talk themselves out of a job
1: And you know, it's not, it's not a healthy thing, right? So for an employee to not have enough work, they're doing two things. So when you're overworking your employees, they're going to be looking for another job because they're just burned out and they know they can't take it for another day. And then if you don't give them enough work, they're not challenged enough to seeing, you know, what can, what what are their capabilities to be able to handle? So with that being said, they're also going to be looking out for another job. So retention becomes very key in finding out, you know, although, you know, what, what my organization does, it doesn't, we don't control the amount of claims that are gonna come in. But what we help um, leadership and management team do is to track that live instead of historical data and saying, oh, we should have done things this way. So we give you a live platform of, here's where the workforce is, here's where your time is, capacity, and here's how much work you have to get done. How do you mesh the two together? So. If you have, let's say, Team A, like you said, you know, maybe it's in Illinois and it's, you know, it's got a lot of volume because of, they just hit got hit with a hail season, right? Versus in Pennsylvania, where there was no hail in the last couple of uh, months, so they're not as busy. How do you leverage one team to another, although they can't travel there, but they can still handle those claims virtually? They can still review those IA reports. So we help gauge geographically. Uh, an opportunity for you to mesh your your workforce together as well as making sure you have control over it. So, you know, at the end of the day, like your, your, your individual that you're talking about, you know, a lot of people take, hey, this works great in this part of the country. You can handle two claims a day. But when you go to New York City, you know, traveling 30 miles is not the same as traveling 30 miles in Iowa. I remember it took me 30 miles on Long Island about three hours. To get from Long Island to Queens, and in Iowa, I could probably do that in twenty minutes. <laughs> uh,
0: absolutely, yeah, yeah. That's that's a great that's a great point. And and you guys can plug into not just claims, but but underwriting systems, or basically, if I understand correctly, any system within my company that 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 is task based.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, anything that can generate generate a report out for us that can tell us who is doing uh, what. When and how much they've completed, we can take that and we can take a look at. You know, people are using PeopleSoft. Uh, some people may use Workday or some of the other human capital uh, systems, management systems. We can together figure out if somebody's called out in one team or somebody's, you know, on vacation. You can prepare better for that ahead of time instead of being reactive. So that's why we call it active operations. You know, as a leader, I always ran reports. You know, you have phone reports, claims report underwriting, writing reports, you know, uh, how many renewals you have, all of those things, you run all those in d- reports individually. And by the time those reports get delivered uh, to somebody's desk, and by the time they get reviewed, they're already a month old, right? It's like, it has no value to you because mm-hmm. now the dynamic of your work has changed. You know, you went from hail uh, claims to now hurricanes in a different part of the country. And then you went from writing new business to now in a mode of renewal, because you got the mid of the year coming. On. Yeah, seven one is coming. Exactly, seven one is coming. So it's really taking anything. Uh, so it doesn't have to be any complex reporting or any complex IT involvement. We we really just gather the information based off of existing systems, and we can work with anything that can give us some basic information.
0: Okay, and and is is it so? So, I I run a department. I I I feel that that. I, <laughs> I have a, a general guess that, that we're not distributing work appropriately. Uh, I give you a call. We start the conversation. It, it looks like a good fit for me. Uh, is, is, it, is, is it a software as a service type thing? Or are you literally showing uh, somebody showing up with, with a Dell server to, to, to add to my, to my back room? We can do
1: that if that's what you asked for. Okay. But <laughs> Which in,
0: in insurance, at times it might, yeah.
1: Yes, yes. I remember the paper files that I still had till last year. I think we still have them. But, um, but you know, it is, a, um, you know, a SaaS product. So it's completely remote, um, you know, completely in the cloud-based. All the information is secured. Um, so we have all the right accreditations to, from a security standpoint as well.
0: Okay. and and, and... I don't have to be API ready. It sounds like as long as there's a report in some shape shape or format, some poor soul on your side will figure out how to uh, to to connect to it or how how to get the bat out of it.
1: That's it. We'll 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 take out all the Excel sheets out of your hand, and no longer you won't even you don't need to run any more pivot tables and try to figure out you know what do I do with this and you know somebody's going to be out for three months versus I need to hire ten more people you'll have all of that. You won't need to worry about any pivot tables.
0: Okay, what, what, what does the pricing look like? Is, is it a per user or a, a uh, how does it scale for the for, yeah. you know, different size organizations?
1: Yeah, so it really depends on the organization. As I said, there's different levels of what you can attain. So we offer from a value perspective, you know, with one of our products, uh, which is an introductory product, it's gonna give you about five to 7% of capacity lift. And then we have products uh, that will give you 15 to 20% of capacity lift. Um, So that means that, you know, there's four different quadrants when an employee is reporting to your company, they're either working on core work-related activities. They're either in a diverted time, which is your team's meetings, links meetings, or any training or anything else they're doing that's not core work related. The third piece is absences. You know, they're, they're away from their, Uh, job for X, Y, and Z, PTO, anything like that. And the last piece is, you know, that um, the the time that is missed. So the in-between time of things, I call it, is you're doing task A, task B, and then there's that gap of uh, missing work area. That's what we help minimize to make sure that the, you know, you have the right people working on the right things. So from a pricing perspective, it is unit, it is individual based. Um, but it depends on the scale of how much uh, how big the organization is, et cetera.
0: Okay. Uh, have you seen a, a significant increase in, in, the, in demand as we all went home with, uh, with remote to work remotely?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And you know it's the other way around. You would think that companies are worried about, hey, are my people working? But a lot of organizations are also worried that the employees are not stopping to work, right? I mean, I think many of us are logged in till 11 o'clock, midnight, because we feel like we have to be, because somebody sends an email, because somebody sent you an estimate to review or whatever it may be because they're working a flexible time or they're working in a different part, right? So Eastern people working with California now feel like they have to stretch their day. And companies are worried that people are gonna burn out because what happens is the longer you work, your quality of work decreases, right? So you wanna make sure you attain the best outcome from people um, you know, uh, from that aspect of it. So we're seeing the other aspect of it. And it's, we've seen a huge increase in companies looking for services like this because there's nothing that gives them a real time live view into what, what's happening in the organization at the minute level, right? Our, our our products can show you here's where your organization is at the grand scale level, whether you have 10, 20,000 people. We just implemented the product into an organization with 24,000 people. Uh, so the scale is huge, and, but at a snapshot, you look at it from an executive standpoint, you can review at that grand scale of where, how effectively is my workforce working, right? At the same time, am I work, out working or burning out one region versus another because they're getting more work? Um, with the remote work, that entire segmentation of, you know, only Eastern region does it this way or they do it this way is all gone out the water, right? okay that, that, that makes a
0: lot of sense uh, so so I, I, I hope that we've kind of covered the, the, the product what ActiveOps is, is doing I, if, if we missed anything make sure to, to, to mention it. Uh, I, I always like to talk about, the, about the, the career aspect and and in your case, we had a prior conversation and I was kind of blown away. you've had just immense career growth in in, in a short period with, with, with an insurance uh, so so. Kind of t- tell me a story like, like I, I see that you, you've got your, your degree in human performance management so not RMI so how did you end up falling in, 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 into into insurance
1: yeah like many of us Tony you know we don't we don't grow up saying that we want to be an insurance adjuster <laughs> and uh, it, it's I was uh, you know in a completely different industry um, I was in retail um, you know retail operations management that's what I did before. And then all of a sudden, you know, I got introduced to insurance and I got introduced to claims. I thought it was going to be a six month, a year long gig. And I was uh, going to move on to something different. And it became my life. Uh, you know, it's a it's 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 been an awesome journey. You know, I was I was with State Farm for a very long time, about nine years, eight, nine years there, then went to Farmers, Chubb Insurance and then Berkshire Hathaway Guard. And. Um, and you know, I'll tell you that every single organization I learned a tremendous amount of knowledge about insurance that I thought I knew a lot about insurance, and I rediscovered myself. And that's what the key is to success, uh, Tony. Is like continuously learning. I have my master's in insurance management, uh, and it's you know, it's all through CPCU. There's a lot of different things that in insurance in insurance industry folks can do to really keep themselves uh, competitive, right? When it comes to that, everybody you know, wants the growth, everybody wants to progress in their career, but the key thing is really trying to find your niche and finding out what are you good at? I've, I was great at claims. Uh, I tried out a few other things and in between in the insurance industry, but I knew that claims was my thing and operations, it w- later I discovered that I am really great at operations, managing people at large scale, and all through education, right? Understanding how the insurance industry works, understanding you know what you have to do, and the biggest key is really building your own brand. Um, is what I give an advice to anybody who's trying to progress. So it,
0: you, you've touched on a heck of a lot of things. <laughs> uh, so let, let's kind of let's kind of dig little by little. So so I agree with everything everything you said. Uh, so so that that's that's good. Uh, okay. So 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 you're state farm auto and and fire claims so that's in office right so so that that is one of the uh, that is one of the entry points into the that is one of the biggest entry points into the industry is that type of large carrier simple claims type inside role how do how do you so so I find and the number one question I get is is how do I get noticed in in that kind of role and I think that there's an expectation of How do I get noticed to the point that I get tapped in the shoulder? Mm -hmm. Uh, And and personally, I believe that in in large organizations at the entry level, there is no such thing as tapped in the shoulder. You can be, and this this is nothing against State Farm. It's a great company, nothing against any of the large carriers. Uh, But in in my experience and what I see a lot of people, uh, you can be the best uh, claims call center person ever They'll be more than happy to to. Did I get stuck? Hold on, my video got stuck. Can you hear me?
1: Yeah, I can Mm -hmm. hear you, but you're frozen.
0: Okay, let's ignore the video. If you if you're watching this on the YouTube side, uh, if you're not, you might want to go just just to see the silly face that I got stuck under. (laughs) Hopefully, my video comes back at some point. Uh, Okay, so so my my experience. uh, They'll be more than happy to to let you sit there and be. Be the, the best call center person ever, or the best entry level claims person ever, and unless you invest in yourself and apply for for the other areas or for the higher levels of of, of the company, uh, you'll be there forever. So, so what was your
1: experience? You know, I think I, you're you're absolutely right. You have to invest in yourself. You have to invest in education. You have to you have to demonstrate that you're willing to do what it's what's needed to get the job done. But more importantly. Tony, I think what's important is really knowing what value you bring to the organization, right? What are the expertise and what are what makes you different than your peers? I had, a, it's funny you mentioned that, you know, that I wanna be tapped on the shoulder. I had an individual, a peer of mine, who is a great, um, you know, a mentor of mine. And, uh, you know, he pushed me a lot. But one of the things that he had was, he said A waste I want somebody to tap me on my shoulder and say I am giving you this job uh, but yet you know and he had done everything that you can ask for from insurance education was an excellent adjuster did all the gigs that you know all checked all the boxes but at the end of the day you really have to develop you know what what does it look like for your brand? How do you differentiate yourselves from the others and are you doing the right things right? Are you are you doing just the average? And the biggest piece is be amazing at whatever you do. So if you're the call center person, be the top a call center person. You know, you're, that's the first and foremost. And that's the best advice I got. No matter what role you're in, be the best at it. And then figure out how you can attain and what's going to make you successful in the next role that you want to go to. And have a good uh. time. And
0: I think that, that that second question, okay, so, so, so being the best of the, of the job, that, that is the same at every company. At every company, your best chance of, of, of growing is going to be being the best at the, the job. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but then from there up, uh, what helps you grow, I think, varies in each organization. Mm-hmm. So, so I, in my experience, finding the right mentors, yeah. uh, talking to a lot of people uh, who are in the areas that you want to go into, especially people that come from the areas that, that, that you come from. Uh, I have found that to be super helpful in figuring out in this particular company, in this particular department, And I'm interested in what are the things that are, that are valued, right? So in your case, you were at State Farm. Historically, at State Farm, CPCU was almost expected, right? It was, it was like everybody pursues CPCU, CHFC, CLU. Uh, so so in, in State Farm, it's, it's a very easy guess that, that right, my manager's CPCU, his manager's CPCU, uh, I should probably pursue CPCU. In many other companies, it's, it's not that easy to to, to assess. Uh, so, so you managed to grow from, from, from property claims to, to catastrophe. Uh,
1: mm-hmm.
0: So were you out on the field in catastrophe or, or were you...
1: Yeah, no. I, catastrophe? No, I was, I was in the field, traveled eight to 10 months out of the year. So I uh, sacrificed my life, uh, but it was an amazing journey. I got to see parts of the country I wouldn't have gone to. You know, I've seen the world's tallest uh, fire hydrant to a chair to a ketchup bottle <laughs> so you know and you know great journey but like you said it's you know it's about that mentorship and you you have to go a step beyond right you have to go to the leadership not just directly where you're applying but even sometimes above that and really be genuine in your approach and saying hey i want to do what it takes to get to that level what does that look like because your your own direct manager will be great they'll give you tips but at the same time, they'll be selfish. They don't want to let you go if you're an excellent at what you're doing. And that's the that's the biggest mistake I see folks doing is just mentoring with their direct manager and not venturing out, not opening up their network and speaking to people that can guide them truly, genuinely without having any interest.
0: That is a fantastic point. And I, I should make uh, a, a, one of my short pay insurance videos about this. Um, I personally believe that whether you have a great manager or a copy manager, even if you have a great manager, I personally believe that your manager can't be your mentor. Those are different things, mm-hmm. right? And, and uh, even if you have a great manager who is clearly investing in, in your growth and who is hel- clearly who clearly wants you to grow and knows how to grow within your organization, uh, you need uh, mentors uh, in other departments of your, of your company and you need mentors outside of your company. I, I remember uh, w- when I was at, at Nationwide uh, and I, I had several, I had four different roles in four different cities in four different departments at Nationwide. So I got to see a very broad view of Nationwide. One of those roles was a rotation program through through uh, the, the uh, finance department at, at Nationwide. It's a it, really fantastic uh, leadership rotation program. Got to see uh, behind the curtain on a, a lot of things my girlfriend was at Nationwide also, but she was in the brokerage area where where they helped exclusive Nationwide agents place business in other carriers. And I remember her saying that Nationwide is its own world. Uh, It's so different from the the rest of the industry. And I think that that's the case at all the large carriers, right? State Farm is also its own world and and Allstate is its own world. because they're large enough that they kind of have their own gravity right many people spend their entire careers internally and then after i left nationwide i realized that she was absolutely right it is very radically different from liberty radically different from american modern radically different from many other carriers that, that i haven't worked at but that i've partnered with uh, to help them with staffing uh it really it's it's easy in a large company to 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 if you don't have outside mentorship, but that's where the CPCU society can be a really really helpful. It's mm-hmm. kind of a built-in group of mentors that, that were you can easily find somebody to, to teach you about the, about the rest of the of the of, of the industry. Um, so so almost ten years at State Farm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: 2017, you leave State Farm. Uh, that has become a little more common, but. It used to be people who are close to ten years at State Farm never leave. So, how, how do you end up making the decision to 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 leave State Farm?
1: Yeah, it was uh, it was a difficult decision. I loved what I was doing. I loved the people that I was doing it with, and that's the best thing, you know. And I had great support system, and you know there was definitely growth in my path there. Um, but it really boiled down to personal, you know. I got married. My wife didn't want me traveling as much. You,
0: you were still catastrophe.
1: Yeah, I was still catastrophe. So we had—I uh, had tried out traveling for about a year and uh, uh, figured out that you know if I want to have a family, it's going to be a little bit difficult. So mm-hmm. I wanted to stay grounded and stay in one place. So I went with farmers, had a little opportunity there. Uh, meanwhile, while I got uh, approached by Chubb uh, for a much larger opportunity, which was more in leadership, and that's that's really where the transition happened it was personal it wasn't you know i loved i loved the culture at state farm i loved everything that was happening there but you know like you said i mean when you're at these large organizations you think the insurance world is just that and in in many cases it is and uh rightfully so because they've built a huge empire but there's other aspects of insurance that i didn't know about so i go from doing property to property at farmers and then to chubb where I got exposed to nineteen different lines of businesses. So I helped set up uh, cyber cats. So uh, you know, working with bitcoins, working with a lot of different machine learning uh, technology, RPAs. And it just opened me up to a whole another world of opportunities that I didn't even, I couldn't even imagine, you know because of not because of the organization, but more so in the role and where my involvement was. It was strictly focused on claims, strictly focused. I worked some drone projects uh, when I was there in the field, but nothing nothing at the magnitude of, you know, hey, you're dealing with workers' comp, professional liability, ENO, DNO. All the stuff I learned in CPCU came into play. Mm-hmm. And- so CAT, so it sounds like, and I, I never did CAT. I interviewed for CAT
0: once at Liberty <laughs> Mutual, and I ended, up, I ended up not going in, the, in that direction. Uh, it was before I got into underwriting. Uh, so, so cat, a great experience, great money. Uh, it's, it's a divorce factory, it is. right? Uh, so, so if you're a young claims adjuster and you're, and, and you're, you're single, no kids, right. You're still in your twenties. Uh, it could be a great way to make a good amount of, of money in the, uh, you know, for the next year, two years, uh, you'll see a lot of the country, you'll get great experience. That That's a big piece that, that yeah. I really want to, you, you, you'll, you'll get a hold. Di- so so when you're interviewing for your next role, two or three or four years on the road, if, if you're a call center, you're going to get very little respect. If you're inside claims, you're going to get a little more. If you're field claims, you're going to get significantly more. If you're catastrophe, you're going to get a lot more. Uh, so it, it really like, like you, you in what I've seen is you can really fast forward uh, your career by, by doing cat for a little bit. But but then you have to be you might have to leave the company afterwards to to. <laughs> So, so, so it's, an, it's interesting. And, and then another thing that I, that I really like here is, so you go to, you, after nine years at State Farm, you go to Farmers for three months. So mm-hmm. the reason I bring that up, I love that you have not deleted that from, from your LinkedIn because many people delete very short uh, stops from, from their LinkedIn and they're like, oh, I was, I was just looking. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the reason I like that you didn't delete that is because I get that call often. I, I get mm-hmm. that call from, from people going, I, I've been here for a long time. I have an opportunity I'm excited for it, but what if, what if I get there and it's not a great match, right? And they're afraid that they will forever stain themselves with, with the, uh, the, the scarlet letter of a short stint, whether they choose to move on or, or they get shown the door early on in the first six months, let's say. And what I always tell them is, yes, if you're Tony Kanyas and you've had four jobs in, in, in four years, right? If you've been in the industry for, for, for seven years and you've had seven different jobs in those seven years, Yes, you have to be careful. Your next move, you should go somewhere where you know you'll be you'll get some tenure. But if you if if you spent five years at your last company, nine years at the last company, then it's not a big deal. You you you're gonna have to explain it, mm-hmm. but it, it's it's really it's really not, not a big deal. Uh, so then you go into, into Chubb, which is a fantastic company, absolutely, both before and after the acquisition. I think January 2018, was that around the time of the acquisition?
1: Uh, it was after. It
0: was okay, after. so 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 it was after the acquisition. Okay, um, and uh, then you go to Guard, which, if I'm not mistaking, is a very young company, right? It's one of the Berkshire mm-hmm. companies, and it might have been founded in like the '90s. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a much younger company. It used to be a workers' comp carrier. Went into, you know, multi-line uh, after they got acquired by Berkshire Hathaway and is a fantastic company to uh, to be a part of. You know, it was very flat organization. So coming at, you know, State Farm, Farmers, Chubb, you have these hierarchy charts and, you know, going to a very flat organization was a fantastic experience. And, you know, it's uh, it's got the, com- the company itself has a great potential and the growth model is just amazing. Um, so yeah, so it was a completely different dynamic shift for me to going from corporate, uh, America to call it to more of a more mom and pop shop, but it's not really a mom and pop shop. You know, it's uh, it's got a Berkshire Hathaway name attached to it. Uh, you know, almost, uh, I think they, they are almost at, at over twelve thirteen hundred 1300 employees now. So the company uh, before the acquisition, I think, was about four or five hundred employees, and it just
0: oh, so 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 Berkshire didn't didn't create no. okay that, that makes sense. Berkshire's model is is yeah. is now that I think about it, yeah. is is buying. By the way, young insurance professionals, read the Buffett letters, uh, if mm-hmm. if uh, or at least read my summary of the Buffett letters on on, on Insurance.com. Uh, you'll learn. I, I think that I learned almost as much from the Buffett letters as I did from CPCU. <laughs> uh, Buffett has a way of, of bringing down the insurance into uh, the most simple terms possible mm-hmm. uh, and his way of seeing it is, is really fascinating and, and his portfolio of, uh, of insurance companies is, is fascinating. So yeah, so yeah, of course they bought Guard instead of, of creating yeah. it. Um, so so you, you get to Guard uh, as a, with a director title, right? You, mm-hmm. You've landed, right? You've arrived, you're, you're a director and within a year you either get it looks like you got promoted to to yeah. to, to to AVP. So there you go. You're an AVP, you're like 33 years old. Like you could easily sit there <laughs> for the rest of your career. You've made it, right? Whether it's at guard or somewhere else, you can enjoy being an AVP for the rest of your career. How did you decide to go ahead and make the move to to uh to insure tech or, or really, you guys are, are really if I understand correctly. You're the insurance guy or one of the few insurance people for a technology company, basically. Mm-hmm. So, yeah.
1: So, so, you know, it's, it was, it started at Chubb. Like, as I said, like when I started, I knew I wanted to do something with technology within the insurance industry and it was just, you know, drones were the new thing. I started uh, playing around with some technology there at the drones level. And then when I came on, you know, chubb and played with a lot of the different automation, process transformation, um, RPA projects, it just really opened my doors, like, you know, my eyes to a different world. Because now here I am, I have a very large organization that I'm overseeing. And I am trying to perfect it by figuring out how do I do process automation? How do I do process re-engineering? And I'm doing all of this. And then I'm, you know, I've been tapped to go to Berkshire as an opportunity to start a claims department there. So that was an exciting opportunity to do all of that. And when I was there, I loved it. You know, amazing. As I said, every single organization I've been at is, it's been a, it's been a blessing uh, to be able to work with some of the amazing people uh, in my career. But it was, you know, I wanted to do something bigger. I wanted to um, work with technology. And that's, that's what really my motive. I always found myself even in that role to always talk about technology. You know, in that role, I'm introducing new technology, some AI and drones, and you know, when it comes to um, opportunity for any automation, you know, I was in the forefront. So, kind of did some self digging and self uh, reflection and finding out, well, what does this mean? Like, where am I taking my career? Uh, I am always. Looked at, or I always want to seek out the opportunities where I'm making process, where I'm making lives of people better. And um, you know, I've been speaking with ActiveOps for quite some time. We had an engagement before, and about three years ago. And it's a company in UK, so they came to US, and um, they're huge in financial uh, sector, uh, huge in healthcare, uh, and they wanted to launch themselves into PNC. So I said, I raised my hand and I said, this is everything that I've built at a variety of different organizations I've been to. And it was always lacking a piece. And this is the missing piece. Cause you know, when we're in insurance, people are teaching you, even at the leadership level, you'll always get good mentor mentorship. You'll always get um, any type of training into uh, the type of work that you do. You know, the policies, procedures, how to write an estimate, how to scope a loss, how to, how to do uh, SIU investigation. And then as a manager, you're taught how to have crucial conversations with your employees. How do you develop the talent? You know, how do you, uh, how do you have the discussions around performance and all of that? But nobody ever taught me production management, right? It's like, that's one key thing that I never had a single class or any, anybody at senior leader, leadership really talking about it because everybody had defined productivity as something different. So you can speak to a different manager, it's like, oh, I find it productive when a field adjuster is handling two claims a day, right? And then you find some other people going, no, I find it productive when an adjuster is in 20 claim files a day, right? Or an underwriter who writes X amount of business uh, on a daily basis, right? So all these metric-driven organizations, which is phenomenal, you have to be metric-driven, but it didn't really translate into production. And everybody's productivity is a little bit different. So when I found out that my organization doesn't just drop a tool at your front yard and say, here's the technology, have fun with it. We actually have a active operations method uh, management methodology. So it's a coaching and guiding Um, journey where we take you through and help you realize the benefits of your organization. So that's what intrigued me the most in saying, look, all this stuff that I've been doing at the department level, at the company level, now I get to do it at the insurance industry level. Why not go at it? And I, you know, I left the leadership uh, journey and uh, went into, uh, uh, you know, sole contributor. So it's a huge shift. And I still itch when somebody talks about a claim, you know, I have a friend call me up and saying, Hey, I, I had a claim. I had a hail loss. What do I do? And I just start itching, you know, like an addict. So <laughs> it's uh, it's that, that's how, that's how it transitioned really about my passion for helping people passion for really making, making the industry a better place. That's what it's awesome. About. Awesome. And how, how did
0: you decide? So, so, so you, you had your, your CPCU already, Mm -hmm. How did you decide to uh, go back to get the master's uh, in insurance management from BU? Uh, How did did you consider like BU versus FSU uh, versus a local school versus an MBA? How how did you, so so that two-step process, okay, I have a CPCU, why should I also get a master's? And how do I decide among the many master's? How did you handle that process?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. So like you said, some organizations um, focus on everybody's got to have a CPCU. If you want to succeed, you got to have a CPCU. Once you get your CPCU, you get your CHFC. And I started my CHFC as well. Um, And, you know, the the key thing for me was I also wanted to develop something for myself. I knew I wanted to go for a master's, whether it was an MBA or anything else. And when I started searching, it was two universities actually that were tied to Um, State Farm I think at the time um, that or just in general with the institutes that took one third of my master's program away if I had a CPCU
0: yeah so that's probably BU and the the one in Michigan that has the MBA program that's built on top of CPCU I cannot remember their name right this second Uh, but BU is much more of a
1: brand name yeah yeah. So BU, of course, I'm from Boston. So I want to, uh, okay. so, you know, when I, when I saw the name Boston, I think Scranton University is in Pennsylvania also, they do as well. So that was a huge uh, motivating factor for me. It's like, okay, I'm reducing one third of my program uh, roughly. And, you know, it's, it's insurance related. The, the company is going to pay for it uh, as long as I'm getting, you know, hitting all the check marks mm-hmm. and, why not develop myself and develop myself within the organization? So it really, that's what really um, got me going and learned a whole lot of, um, you know, great skills. I mean, you're taking is, although it's insurance management, as you know, prerequisites are a lot of different things that you have to go through and uh, get project management. So taught me a lot of project management, operational excellence, a lot of different, tech, a lot of different courses and that I took really helped shape into what i was doing at the time and still doing now
0: okay so so overall you recommend the the uh the program
1: oh yeah yeah absolutely okay i mean if you have a cpcu and you you want to get your masters there's no other reason i mean you could get it in risk management you could get it in a variety of different areas there's a couple of uh selections for you but as a as a broad general uh insurance management it's 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 great to have it's great to be able to connect that you know go back to school although it's a little bit difficult in in some cases because we may find it oh what am i going to do and i did it while i had a kid so it's it's possible i'll tell you that while i was on cat so cat
0: uh...
1: <laughs> yeah that, that, that's insanity right there
0: yeah. uh yeah. wow okay uh that, that is, yeah that is something i have not heard of anybody else getting a <laughs> degree while on on, on on cat that that is crazy um yeah. awesome Awesome! 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 Uh, so, so, I I I really like your your story. I, I think that, that this, you're you're a great example. I hope that that many many young uh, what what is it called a, a young uh, claims adjusters uh, listen to this and, and look you up on, on LinkedIn. I'll, I'll link you on on the post when when it goes live, uh, and that they see that you can do crazy stuff. Yeah, uh, coming from coming from from a personal alliance claims background of of all places, right? Like like millions of people have that background, basically. <laughs> uh, by investing in yourself and doing the right things. Any any mistakes along the way that if if you could go back to yourself, the first day that you started at a State Farm, the first day in insurance, anything that you would warn yourself not to do?
1: Oh God, so many. <laughs> you know, and. I, th- I think those, the mistakes are what makes you, right? You have to, you have to make the mistakes, but you have to make sure you're not, you're learning from those mistakes is the key thing, right? It's, you know, I've, I've passed some opportunities because I didn't want to make a lateral move, right? And later on I had to do it. And, and, and it, and it worked out great. Cause I was in this mindset of, no, I know personal lines. That's all I'm going to do. I'm not going to go into commercial. Why do I need to go from that, auto to fire? That was a mistake. Yeah. Auto to, auto to fire, right? That was a mistake, but
0: you know, no, no, no. like not wanting to go commercial alliance yeah. when there was an opportunity. Yeah, yeah. And, and, ragu- and I get it. But part of that is State Farm is a personal alliance company, right? So, so yeah. if, if you live within the State Farm bubble, it's easy to think that commercial alliance is,
1: is kind of a weird area. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, farm ranch. It seems so difficult. Like you know, that's some some of the business that uh, I was handling at that time is is like going from auto to fire was a huge shift and from in office to field. And uh, I let some of the opportunities go, you know, uh, because, because of the fact that uh, I didn't think I was ready. And you know, the biggest mistake I made uh, that I look back every single time, I took an AIC course within the first like month of me starting in the insurance industry. is like, oh, you come in, you do your AIC, then you get your CPCU and you do it. I had no idea. I didn't, I didn't take it seriously, failed my first AIC. And I didn't take my uh, next AIC course for probably two to three years until yes. a mentor until a mentor came down to me. He's like, why didn't you take it? Oh, I took it and I failed. He's like, did you know what a deductible was when you took it? No. Did you know different types of deductibles? So you didn't know all that. And then I went and I took it and it was like a breeze. And that's what got me addicted to it. It's like, well, now I know the industry. And that's what I tell people is, when you go into it, you know, just make sure you give it your best and that you learn just because you failed at something, don't let that stop you from ever- That,
0: that is a really good story. My experience with, with designations was the exact opposite, but I took it seriously. Uh, I'm not a good student, but I was already doing my MBA. So it was, it was pretty easy to just kind of add it on top and it just got done. Uh, but uh, when I started my designations, it was a Farm Bureau of Iowa and, and they had a really cool program. Basically, as long as you had supervisor approval, you could take the the, the test, um, no, no out-of-pocket expense. So so the, the company literally had a, a little library with a bunch of books. So as long as a book was available, they would loan you the book and, and and they had an in-house testing center. So it would cost you nothing out-of-pocket. There was no reimbursement for a process. So what would happen is people would sign up and just not study, right? And, and, and show up to take the test uh, uh, and, assume that that right they knew enough to pass it and i was one of them <laughs> right and, and, and so, so so i i like uh I, I think that the better program uh is the other carriers where, where you're paying for the test up front and then it's 100 percent reimbursement front plus yeah. a little bonus once you pass because i've never met anybody who paid for it uh, it, who didn't study for it, yeah. right? Uh, so, so, so I think maybe the, the program was too generous yeah. uh, in, 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 in that particular setup. It's uh, no, so,
1: funny that you say that because I actually uh, opted to pay for it myself and get reimbursed because there was an option to directly do it. Okay. But I opted to do it that way because I knew it was my money on the line and I, <laughs> I needed to get it back. And, uh, you know, then I think the other, the other piece was really discovering some of the tools out there, like for CPCU, I use the Big Daddy University, and for anybody in the field, anybody in the field, if if you are driving, yeah, the audio, you're not you're not recording the Big Daddy U, and you're not taking CPCU, you're wasting your time.
0: That that's a that's a very good point. Yeah, I, I did mine the traditional way, using the the textbook and and yeah. then the the uh, the practice test using 100% Institute's uh, material. I I didn't find out about. By the way, we lost your video. Uh, I didn't find out about about, about CPCU until uh, excuse me about Big Daddy until after I finished, uh, uh-huh. so I've never used it. But it is wildly popular within the, the within the community, like the CPCU candidates group. Uh, everybody will tell you that 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 Big Daddy uh, is is fantastic. But if you guys are listening, we would love to have you as a sponsor. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> that that goes for both Big Daddy or for the institutes. Or the society yeah. any any of you we talk about you all the time we'd love to have you as a sponsor uh <laughs> send me an email <laughs> you know how to get a <laughs> hold of me uh anyway that that thank you that that, that that's that's been it's, it's been a lot of fun uh also I, I if i remember correctly i'll call this part out if, if i if i'm not remember, remembering correctly but if i remember correctly when we, when we chatted about uh, a few weeks ago you were talking about about wanting to to mentor some some people so yeah. If somebody, a young insurance professional, is listening to this and they want to kind of follow in your footsteps, uh, what's the what's the what's the best way to to reach out and apply? Uh, is it add you on LinkedIn, say hi, let them know that they heard you on the podcast?
1: Yeah, yeah add me on LinkedIn, send me a message, uh, tell me tell me about you and what you're hoping to gain, and you know if I can help along the way, absolutely. You know that's that's what it's all about. It's all about the community. The insurance community is very small, believe it or not. It may seem like a huge beast but I'll tell you that 95% of the people know Tony Kanye (laughs) and the remaining 5% I may Uh, know, but not sure about the other way around, but yeah, uh, it's a small small community. uh, So anything I can do to help out. That is a very good point that I don't believe that I've
0: ever talked about it on the podcast or on a daily video. Uh, If you are new to insurance, realize that even though there are about a million and a half people in our industry in the States, uh, everybody knows everybody yeah. burn no bridges ever
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> because yeah. everybody knows everybody. It really, uh, uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Jacobson, Margaret, uh, Reese Millikent 35 year uh, Jacobson legend uh, uh, likes to say that, that, that uh, insurance has a one degree of separation. Basically yeah. like, like anybody in the industry, you're within one degree. you know, somebody that knows them. Uh, it's just a matter of, of 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 looking and yeah there are some super connectors among the industry uh like myself and like and like margaret but but uh yeah it 's a very small industry uh don 't burn bridges uh if you are uh you know if you 're not happy where you 're at, grab some time and chat with tony i 'll help you plan your exit so that you don 't burn bridges on on the way out uh don 't give up on the job while you 're still there. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so anyway, that's, that's all I have today. Uh, thank you so much for, for your time always. Uh, l- looking forward to see what you guys do as you grow, uh, active ops within insurance. I'd love to see it get adopted widely within the industry, because I think that, that it's, it sounds like a good solution for a problem that I know many carriers have, whether they realize that or not. Right. If, if, uh, if you can get your people to be honest, they will probably tell you that it is true that the work is misdistributed. Yeah. Uh, and uh so so if you run a department and this could be helpful give him a call again uh profile linked below uh thank you very much for your time
1: yeah thanks a lot tony
0: all right take care everyone feel free to reach out